Good morning. It is Friday, February 23rd. Welcome to another edition of the 801 on board this morning. We'll have news, sports, and weather. I'm Kent Garrett. You're listening to WIOX Community Radio 91.3 FM and MTC Cable Channel 20 in the Catskills. And we are streaming to the world on WIOXradio.org on your computers and smartphones. Plus, you can hear us at 107.5 FM on the SUNY Delhi campus. Coming up, abandoning Biden and the Democrats over Gaza, plus President Joe Biden is about to do something Donald Trump uh, would have done or did do at the border. We'll tell you all about that. Don Matheson is here. He joins us to talk about what he says is a life-changing event that happened to him on last Tuesday. And we'll have those stories and more coming up. You are now on board the 801 and taking a look at weather for the Central Catskills region of New York, according to the National Weather Service. Today, we've had snow before 9 a.m. We'll have snow before 9 a.m. And then a slight chance of rain between 9 a.m. and 10 a.m. There'll be some patchy fog uh, as well. And the high today will be 45. There'll be light and variable wind. Uh, coming out of the northwest at 5 to 7 miles per hour, mostly in the morning. And the chance of precipitation today is 80%. And total uh, daytime accumulation of snow will be less than half an inch, uh, possibly less than uh, half an inch, really. And tonight, mostly cloudy with a low around 15 degrees. Tomorrow, sunny with a high near 24. Winds out of the northwest at about 15 miles per hour. And tomorrow night, we can expect a mostly clear night with a low around 8 and wind chill values as low as minus 3. And again, that's tomorrow night, minus 3. The uh, temperature right now outside of our studios here in Roxbury, New York, and we are in the Catskills. We're 150 miles north of New York City, 71 miles southwest of Albany. And right now, the temperature in Roxbury here, it's uh, 33 degrees and snow, uh, just light snow. And uh, the high today will be 46. Sunrise was at 643 this morning, and sunset will be at 540 this evening. Humidity in Roxbury right now is uh, 98%. And uh, you are listening to WYOX Community Radio 91.3 FM. And I'm Kent Garrett, and we'll take a look at uh, some of the 801 headlines for this morning. Uh, Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, the uh, senator from New York, is in Ukraine for meetings with Ukrainian uh, President uh, Zelensky. Uh, he's leading a uh, Democratic uh, congressional uh, delegation, and it's a pretty big moment for the Schumer, and, that he, and he's trying to assure, uh, reassure that Ukraine of American support at a time when billions in the future USAID is in doubt uh, in the uh, Republican-controlled uh, House. And 
that 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 funding also uh, relates to funding for uh, Gaza for for Israel. And House Speaker uh, Mike Johnson assailed uh, President Biden yesterday in response to reports that the White House was eyeing a new, uh, some new executive actions to curb the flow of migrants crossing the uh, southern border. Uh, 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 Johnson said that Americans have lost faith in this president's and they won't be fooled by election year gimmicks uh, that don't actually secure the border, and that's what uh, Mike Johnson uh, said uh, yesterday. Uh, he's the uh, House Speaker. And Donald Trump's legal team is seeking to dismiss criminal charges based on what he calls presidential immunity claims. The uh, case alleges that Trump uh, hoarded classified documents at Mar-a-Lago after leaving office. Prosecutors argue that the conduct occurred post-White House immunity claim, and they say the, the uh, Trump team claim is uh, frivolous. And sanctions against uh, Russia aim to hold them pretty accountable for action in Ukraine and Navalny, Navalny's uh, death. The U.S. is targeting uh, Russia's military industrial complex with the largest single uh, brand, uh, tranche I should say, of penalties since the Ukraine invasion. Uh, experts urged uh, congressional action to bolster Ukraine's defense capabilities amid concerns about the uh, sanctions, uh, actually whether they really work or not. And the Alabama Chief Justice Tom Parker, who wrote the opinion in last week's Alabama Supreme Court ruling that frozen embryos have the same rights as living children recently appeared on a show hosted by uh, the self-appointed prophet of a QAnon, uh, a QAnon, uh, actually QAnon conspiracy theorist. And uh, uh, he talked more about his decision to, uh, about the uh, frozen embryos. And a judge has ruled that a Texas school district is legally allowed to discipline a black high school student for his hairstyle. Daryl uh, George, uh, an 18-year-old junior, wears his hair tied up, but the school says if worn down, his hair would uh, violate its, uh, the hair length policy of that school. And... Good news out of space, or from, I guess from, you could say it's from the moon. A private lander on yesterday made the first U.S. touchdown on the moon in more than 50 years. Uh, uh, it managed just a, a weak signal until the flight, con flight con controllers scrambled to gain a better contact, and uh, that it's uh, hailed as quite a success. Uh, again, uh, the first trip to the moon in 50 years. Time now is uh, 10, uh, 10 minutes after 8. You're on board the 801, and I'm Kent Garrett.
Time now is uh, 11 minutes after 8. We begin the A block this morning with the fact that more and more Arab and Muslim voters, uh, plus young voters, uh, and, and, and also voters that just feel that the Gaza is not a distant reality. But uh, a lot of these voters, those, those groups of voters, are abandoning uh, U.S. President Joe Biden over his response to Gaza. Uh, for example, voters in Dearborn, Michigan, which is home to the largest Arab-American population in the U.S., they're saying there that they won't vote for Biden in 2024, even if even if he's running against uh, Donald Trump. And here's some uh, here's a look at what's happening in Dearborn. A uh, piece from the Al Jazeera News Network. I, I will never forget. I will never vote for him. I will never vote for any Democrat again after they, what they did to us this time. Arab and Muslim Americans feel betrayed by President Biden and his response on Gaza. Right now, he needs to call for an immediate ceasefire, and he needs to change his rhetoric. Israeli attacks have killed more than 10,000 Palestinians in just one month. And many are blaming the Biden administration for supporting the Israeli military and for diminishing Palestinian deaths. When I see a president fail to uphold that, They've lost all respect for me. For many Palestinian Americans, the violence in Gaza is not a distant reality. It's very close to home. Do you know how many family members you've lost so far? It's, uh, 20. Yeah, so four on Saturday, four on Monday, and 12 on, on Wednesday. We traveled to Dearborn, Michigan, home to the largest Arab American population in the U.S., to find out how the Biden administration's unwavering support of Israel is impacting their view of the president. We must be crystal clear. We stand with Israel. Surveys estimate Biden won more than two-thirds of the Muslim vote in the U.S. in 2020. But if those voters switch or even stay home, it could cost Biden a crucial swing state and potentially the 2024 election. Michigan is one of the most important states in the, um, in the presidential elections. And I think he's taking it for granted. He cannot win without our vote. Adam Abusala is a Palestinian American who worked on the Biden campaign in 2020. I you know, knocked on doors, I, I organized for Arab Americans to go out and vote for Joe Biden, and I will not be voting for him in 2024. This is a photo of uh, Biden and I um, at a meet and greet in Dearborn. And then there's this cake. What is this cake? It says, Happy Birthday, Adam. Biden, <laughs> what is that? Yeah, so my birthday was actually two days after Election Day in 2020 because I was so focused on the Biden campaign and I was so focused about talking about Biden. I, you know, so my parents just made a joke out of it. And well, what do you feel when you see a, these pictures? What, what do you feel now? I, I feel a sense of betrayal. You know, we really went out for Biden and historically whoever, won, whoever wins Michigan wins the presidency. And really, I, I use the word that we, we saved Biden in Michigan. You know, I, I supported the man who's funding the genocide of my people. You know, I feel guilt. Adam says the Biden administration's actions and words have actively harmed Palestinians. Like when President Biden discounted the massive death toll in Gaza. Sure, innocents have been killed and it's the price of waging a war, but I have no confidence in the number that the Palestinians are using. The, the fact that he would discount the amount of people that died and said, well, they're exaggerating the numbers a bit, that's not presidential. Uh, and again, that's what's making people in the Arab American community outraged. This is somebody that we supported, this is somebody that we came out for, and right now he's discounting how we feel, but also continuing to fund the uh, genocide against our people in Palestine. 
many Palestinian American voters in Michigan have lost family members in Israel's incessant bombing of Gaza. Dr. Imad Shahada says Israeli airstrikes have killed a staggering 20 members of his family. Uh, my cousin, my first cousin, uh, was killed in an attack on his house. His only daughter and uh, his youngest two sons died also in the attack. A couple of my cousins uh, died also in an attack on their home. Uh, one of my cousins was pregnant with her first uh, child. The other one was just a recent graduate from, from college and had her whole life ahead of her. And the younger children were at basic elementary age school. The uh, third one was on last Wednesday. Twelve people died uh, in that attack, including a young child. The house that was attacked was the house next to my sister's house. Dr. Shahada said his sister and her immediate family survived the attack. That's the one that's really affected me the most because it's 10 meters in the wrong direction and, and my sister would have been the one who died. Dr. Shahada says he messages his sister every day, but there are often internet outages. The last time I talked to her personally was over the phone was last week. The phone call ended very emotionally. You know, she started crying at the end. I mean, she was holding strong the whole time, but I think she just broke up, you know, at the end and couldn't hold it anymore. I probably, because being her older brother, should be calling her and supporting her, but, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't find the strength in me really to hear her voice again that way. A pulmonologist operating right outside Dearborn, Dr. Shahada has been in the U.S. since the year 2000. He said while Gaza has been attacked by Israel before, the destruction he's seeing now is on another level. People are dying every day. They're dying in the hundreds and they're dying in the thousands. You're not only killing them, you're starving them before killing them. There is no food, there is no water, there is no electricity. I, I don't think they're targeting Hamas anymore, they're just targeting the Palestinian people. The Biden administration says it's working to get aid into Gaza, but Dr. Shahada says the focus should be on a ceasefire. Humanitarian aid at this time is, is not the problem. I mean, what's the point of feeding people if we're planning to kill them next day? The most important thing right now is to stop this fighting. If, if this is not a war crime, I don't know what's a war crime. And we are supporting these war crimes. We are paying for it. We're not only approving it, we're also paying for it with our tax money. President Biden has asked Congress for $14.3 billion in military aid for Israel. That's in addition to the billions of dollars the U.S. sends every year. In fact, since World War II, Israel has received more U.S. aid than any other country. The security package I'm sending to Congress is an unprecedented commitment to Israel's security. Despite voting for Biden in the 2020 election, Dr. Shahada says he will not vote for him again in 2024, even if he's running against Trump. I don't see any difference in their policy between both of them, at least about Trump. You know what he's going to do. You will not feel betrayed. I mean, I really feel betrayed with what uh, Biden did this time. That sense of betrayal is common among the Arab and Muslim community, according to Nada Al-Hanuti. Nada is the executive director of M-Gage in Michigan, a nonprofit focused on encouraging Muslim Americans to vote. The uh, Israeli government is performing a lot of egregious war crimes uh, to the Palestinian community, including collective punishment, use of white phosphorus, targeting the um, hospitals and sanctuary zones. And we are pressing the Biden administration to act now and to enforce a ceasefire for our sisters and brothers in Palestine. Nada says the betrayal felt by the Muslim community is going to impact how they vote and could cost Biden the 2024 election. In 2020, there were nearly 1.1 million Muslim American voters nationally. Biden and the Democratic Party need the Muslim vote in order to win. In Michigan alone, we had 145,000 Michigan Muslims go out to vote, and Biden won by 155,000 votes. A recent poll showed that support for Biden among Arab Americans fell from 59% in 2020 to just 17% today. 
and right now there's a lot of mistrust within our community. Um, our community members do not feel seen, do not feel heard, they do not feel safe, and right now it's not looking good for the um, Biden campaign. Dearborn is represented by Palestinian American Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib. She has publicly criticized Biden, saying he, quote, supported the genocide of the Palestinian people. Mr. President, the American people are not with you on this one. A lot of our community members are coming to me. They're saying, Neda, we're either vote third party, we are not going to vote top ticket, or we're going to stay home. The Muslim and Arab voters we talked to in Dearborn echoed those feelings. I'm a Christian Palestinian, and I've had my grandparents that were displaced in 1948 at the Nakba. I voted for Joe Biden, who I like to say is not my president. We're really dealing with a very difficult, it's like a, between a rock and a hard place at that point. Nowadays, if you're voting for Biden or if even if you're voting for Trump, you're putting yourself into a situation where other people's lives are in stake. I will not vote for Joe Biden in the 2024 election. The cost of a Palestinian life means more to me than anything else. Honestly, I'm leaning towards not voting in the first place. So I pray and hope at that point there's going to be some sort of a change. We're not just ticking a box because we have no choice. It was actually a Trump policy that pushed Adam to get involved in the Biden campaign in the first place. But even if Trump is the Republican nominee, Adam says he won't vote for Biden. Uh, the main reason, honestly, was because of the Muslim ban. When Biden was running against Trump, I thought that Biden would be somebody who um, would lead with compassion, would lead with humanity. I thought he would be somebody that, uh, that was a little bit different, uh, but clearly I was wrong. Multiple people we spoke to said that the danger to Muslims is the same now as it was under President Trump. Again, we are experiencing the same harmful rhetoric. We're experiencing the same Islamophobia and the same hate crimes and a government and an administration that is not listening to us. The Council on American-Islamic Relations has received hundreds of complaints of Islamophobia and hate incidents since October 7th, more than three times the average from 2022 in a similar time period. In one case, police arrested a man who said he wanted to, quote, hunt Palestinians in Dearborn. And in Illinois, a man killed a six-year-old Palestinian-American boy with the Al-Fayumi in what authorities called a hate crime. When I go to my local mosque and the door is locked and somebody has to let you in uh, because of you know security concerns, you know we're Americans. We, we shouldn't have to feel that way. We shouldn't have to feel scared. Uh, you know, not because of lies, but because of stuff that the president of the United States is saying. The message from the Arab and Muslim community in Michigan to President Biden is very clear. We grieve, we cry, we hurt, but we channel that energy and we're very proactive and we fight. We are going to continue to fight for our sisters and brothers back home. Right now, he needs to call for an immediate ceasefire and he needs to change his rhetoric. But whatever President Biden chooses to do, he's already lost the vote of many of the people who helped him win Michigan. History will not forgive him for doing this. We will not forgive him for this when November comes next year. We will not forget. Time now is uh, 8.23, and that was a piece from Al Jazeera. And in fact, the whole the discontent with the, the Democrats and with Biden is really spreading throughout the rest of the country. And uh, many are thinking that Donald Trump indeed did do some harmful, harmful things to Muslims when he was in office, but he does not have... Uh, what people are saying, uh, Palestinian blood on his hands, as is the case with uh, Joe Biden. 
than the uh, Democrats right now. And here's uh, another piece from uh, MSNBC uh, News. Uh, there are aspects we have to talk about with Yasmin, who's joining us from Michigan, Dearborn specifically, talking to voters ahead of Tuesday's primary. That is a state, as you well know, Yasmin, where protesters have been very loud against Joe Biden's support for Israel. And as The New York yeah. Times has put it, Michigan's combination of an early primary, a large and politically active Arab American population, progressive students on college campuses, and the option of a protest vote have raised the stakes of what has otherwise been a sleepy election in the state. So what are the voters telling you, Yaz? There's, there's a new poll out, Alex, um, at 45 to 41, in which the former president is leading Joe Biden right now in Michigan. Biden has a problem, Alex, um, in Michigan with the voters that I've, I've been speaking to. These are all folks that voted for Biden um, in 2020. They have committed to voting uncommitted in the Michigan primary uh, next Tuesday. And two of them are very much on the fence in voting for him for re-election in November. The other two absolutely will not be voting for him. They are angry about Gaza. They are angry he has not called for a permanent ceasefire as of yet. And they're angry that he has not come through on the promises he made when he was running for president back in 2020. Let's take a listen, Alex, um, to some of what they said and how they think or they believe um, Biden could possibly make up their vote between now and November. Is there a pathway forward for you with Biden? Oh, absolutely not. You cannot keep killing people with our money and just keep thinking that, oh, we are stupid enough to elect you again because we'll fall in line. We'll forget. How can you, how can, like, this is an insult to me as a voter. For you, Biden has a pathway forward. Biden has a pathway forward. And it's not saying- And what does that look like? That is him calling for a permanent and immediate ceasefire. The straightforward, simple answer for the Biden administration is push for a ceasefire, stop aiding Israel in their war crimes. And I guarantee you there are enough people who would be willing to deal with it and vote for the man. It is, in so many words, insane to me to have the Democratic Party and the Biden administration sit here and essentially say, if Trump happens, it's your fault. If you don't want a Trump presidency, then are you not worried about what he could do domestically yeah. to this country? I am. You know, it's like a vaccine. I'm willing to take short term pain for a long term gain. I'm willing to uh, uh, let go of Joe Biden and oppose Joe Biden, make him a one term president, punish Joe Biden by making him a one term president and pairing his loss with the genocide in Gaza. Why does our democracy, why is having a Trump presidency more important than those people's lives? Yeah. Why is our democracy more important than thousands of men, women and children being killed? So, so it's interesting, Alex, because it's not like they're saying we're not going to vote for Joe Biden and instead we're going to be voting for Donald Trump. That is not at all what they're saying. Right. Instead of saying we are in this position in more of a big picture sense because of the Democratic Party. Right. They're like, you haven't given us the candidates that we want. You haven't delivered the way in which we want. You're not listening to us. And we are sick of the political system in this country because of all of that. So this for them is kind of a warning shot saying it's time to change. It's time for something to change in this country. 
Yes. The, the third gentleman with whom you spoke talked about the short term pain for the long term gain and said yes. that he'd be willing to vote out Joe Biden. He does fully realize mm -hmm. what that means. Right. If we've got Joe Biden and Donald Trump, he's willing to elect Donald Trump. Mm -hmm. he, he fully realizes. And I challenged him on that. I talked to him about that. Um, he fully realizes what that means. But, but these voters are saying it's not on us. This is not our responsibility. It is not our fault. This is the fault of the two-party system in this country. It's the fault of the Democratic Party for not producing the candidates that we want and for not coming through and following through on the issues that we feel like they need to be following through on. So if we have to go through, as Khalid said, the person that you were talking about, this kind of short-term pain of another Trump presidency, that's what needs to happen as they see it to break the system because they have slept through so many election cycles in which they see as choosing the lesser of two evils and they're exhausted. Hmm. And that is what I'm hearing most from voters here in Michigan. So last question to you. You just said, wow. And you said so as Ray Gasm was reporting, they're listening to that tape. Um, what does this portend to you? How concerning is this? Michigan's in a very important state. It potentially could run neck and neck there. You have Rashida Tlaib, the Michigan congresswoman, who's saying what Yasmin is talking about with these voters, saying, hey, don't vote for Biden specifically. Send this message. But sending that message now. Sure. Exactly. What are the dangers of that? Well, so first of all, the Biden campaign and the administration certainly acknowledges the political significance of this situation. That's why they sent Deputy National Security Advisor John Finer to do extended meetings in Michigan with with these communities. We, we shouldn't forget about the fact that this is February. Yeah. And so if this there's was time, you there, there's time for the campaign and the administration to address this. And what I would virtually guarantee is every Biden supporter or former Biden supporter who is a part of this coalition is sending this message in such an ardent way right now because they are hoping to reach some form of consensus. And you're going to see that start to play out. Uh, so there's a lot that is going to change, but certainly what can happen, and this is just raw politics. This isn't a commentary on the conflict itself. The Biden campaign will not ignore this issue and their voices. And you will certainly see them making very, very concerted efforts to mend some of these divisions and bring their coalition back together. Can we go back quickly to you, Yasmin, if you're still there and just get you to react yeah. to what the congressman just said? Yeah. yeah. Congressman, I don't mean I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but it, it's interesting because some of the points that you just made up, they actually came up at the table. Right. This idea of timing. And the president has said this. There's time right to make up uh, the difference between now um, and November. And they have sent an entourage of people. They've sent folks from the White House to respond to some of these concerns in Michigan. The president came himself when it came to UAW. He has not yet come to address the issue right now at hand with uh, the Arab American, the Muslim American community, and young voters here in Michigan. One, that is something that they that they want. The other thing is, they're saying the time is now. It's not now or November. The time is now because what they're asking for, specifically in the Arab American community, the Muslim American community, and these young voters, is they're wanting reaction when it comes, real action when it comes um, to Gaza. So this time making up, right, and sending these entourage of folks that are part of the White House. It's not necessarily, in my view, from what I'm hearing from these folks, 
making much of a difference. Right. Wow. So, so yes, I, I know we're supposed to go, but just really quickly, let's say things get much better. <laughs> Are they not going to be able to forget what has happened in Gaza when it comes to voting in November well, and thus vote their conscience that way? So, so the two guys in the end, Annie and Mikhail, both young voters, they said there is a possibility to make okay. up that vote, right? If the president were to call for an immediate ceasefire, for mm -hmm. instance, and really put time and thought, energy and money into creating right. a two-state solution in that area and helping rebuild. That's how they feel now. The two in the middle said there's no redemption. They're not wow. doing it. Time now is uh, coming up on 8.32, and I think uh, the, the sentiment of many people is that they're not going to forget that it's going to be around till, till November, till the election. But here's more from the uh, Breaking Points news channel. All right, guys, very interesting moment over on CNN when Chris Wallace reveals that a top Democrat told him they are freaking out about Biden's standing in the critical state of Michigan. Let's take a listen to that. I was talking to a top uh, Michigan Democrat over the weekend who said that, you know, it's not just Arab Americans. They're young people. They're people of color, blacks and, and Hispanics who have a lot of doubts about Joe Biden and, you know, where another candidate like Dean Phillips might not be able to, to, to put on much of a show against Biden. Uh, this Michigan Democratic official was saying, I'm worried about uncommitted. You know, it's really a vote of no confidence or lack of confidence in Biden. Uh, and this official was worried that it, it could do well enough in the primary a week from tomorrow to embarrass Joe Biden. So that primary, of course, is coming up next week. And um, Sagar, this is something we have covered before. There is now an organized effort backed by a number of Democratic officials, including Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, to instead of voting for Joe Biden in the primary, to vote uncommitted, specifically to voice dissent over his unconditional support for Israel. And the fear here isn't that, you know, uncommitted is going to beat Joe Biden in the state of Michigan in the primary. Right. The fear is that the demonstration of this anti-Joe Biden commitment specifically over this policy could really carry over into the general election. And that in a lot of senses, it may be too late, even if they change policy now, to win a lot of these folks back. Now, the suspicion isn't that they're going to, you know, switch over and vote, at least not in large numbers, for Donald Trump, although some of them may do that as well, but that they'll either stay home or they'll notch a, another protest vote in the fall, either for, you know, another, like, right candidate or one of the third-party candidates that may be on the ballot. There's actually a big New York Times piece this morning as well, breaking down these concerns, which is like, you know, activists have been warning of this, um, and people on the left have been warning of this from very, very early on, and the polls immediately reflected a devastating impact, especially among Arab Americans in the state of Michigan and elsewhere. This was completely ignored and hand-waved away of basically like, ah, they'll get over it when they remember it's Donald Trump, and now they're finally waking up to the reality that this could really be a problem for them. Yeah, there's been a lot of reporting behind the scenes that uh, Representative Debbie Dingell from Michigan has been really pushing the White House to change course. The reason I would take her very seriously is she's the lady who told 
to Hillary in 20, she was like, you're going to lose Michigan. She's like, you're getting creamed. And the Hillary campaign was like, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, she was the one who was saying, you need to come yeah, here. she's like, like you, you need, need to, to get here now. Like, she's like, I promise you that you have a big problem on the ground. And, you know, given her and her, I believe her husband served until he was like 80 something years old. So anyway, they have a, they've got a lot of ties to the state and I believe them whenever they say that there's a problem. Yeah. This isn't just some, you know, this isn't like an activist necessarily with skin in the game. This is just a pure political operator who's pushing the White House. And like, you don't understand. You have a serious problem here on the ground. You need to address it. And, unfor- you know, for them, they, they haven't done anything about it. Um, the mayor of Dearborn, who we interviewed on this show, also had a New York Times op-ed, which, again, you know, this is the paper that people in Washington, yes. D.C. are obsessed with. So the fact that they published this op-ed is really a big deal. We can put this up on the screen. Um, he is also making the case to vote uncommitted. Uh, he says Dearborn is not alone in calling for a permanent ceasefire in Gaza. A poll conducted last fall found that 66% of Americans and a whopping 80% of Democrats want a ceasefire. However, the president and our elected representatives in Congress seem content to ignore the will of the American people. He also says, I, like many of my fellow Americans, cannot in good conscience support the continuation of a genocide. This has weighed heavy on my heart, particularly as the presidential primary election in Michigan has drawn near. It is for that reason that I will be checking the box for uncommitted on my presidential primary ballot next Tuesday. In doing so, I am choosing hope, the hope that Mr. Biden will listen, the hope that he and those in Democratic leadership will choose the salvation of our democracy over aiding and abetting Mr. Netanyahu's war crimes, the hope that our families in Gaza will have food in their bellies, clean water to drink, access to health care and the internet, and above all else, a just state in which they have the right to determine their own future. Um, Dearborn being a majority Arab American state. So the fact that their elected mayor, who is a Democrat, is also saying, I'm voting uncommitted is, you know, a real signal of trouble for them. But as Chris Wallace pointed out, you know, this goes way beyond just Arab Americans in the state, which alone would be an issue in Michigan. But we're talking about a whole range of key Democratic constituencies, which are not just at odds with, but furious and disgusted by Joe Biden's stance here. So uh, there's a new Michigan poll that just came out, just to give you a sense here, put this up on the screen. So 74% of Democratic voters say they support a ceasefire. Only 12% say they that, that they support Israel's operations in Gaza. 12% of Democrats back the, the Joe Biden position with regard to Israel. I mean, that is astonishing. And then put this next one up on the screen that shows you the comparison here. Um, Among 18 to 34 year olds, Biden's favorability, 32%. Compare that to Michigan's Democratic governor, Gretchen Whitmer, just to show you they're not like just pissed off at everybody. Her favorability among the same group is almost reversed. It's 61%. So 32% favorability and 60%, close to 60% unfavorability for Joe Biden among this group. And it's almost exactly reversed for Whitmer, who is 61% favorable, 33% unfavorable. Um, I think that demonstrates that it is not just a limited, this one narrow demographic group of voters that they have a problem with. They have a big problem. And Sagan, remember that Politico piece that said that they were looking for alternative pathways Mm -hmm. to victory in Michigan that basically didn't rely on the Arab American population? Well, what, you're not going to rely on young people? You're not going to rely on anybody who's like, you know, even a little bit left of the center of the Democratic Party? Black voters are expressing this is a problem for them because they're looking at all this funding of, um, of overseas conflicts and saying, 
what about my neighborhood? What and about right. my job? Yeah. What about my livelihood? I mean, that was what we heard from some yeah. of the RFK and current focus group yeah. voters, and they are 100% correct about that. And that's a message that, you know, that extends beyond just the Democratic coalition into also how independents are viewing our unconditional support for these unending conflicts. Yeah, uh, look, I think it's very important for us to pay attention to this too, just because, again, everybody thinks like, oh, uh, well, they're, they'll come in the end. They may just not vote. And I don't think people understand how yeah. important that is. So there was a decent analysis done back in 2016 where if just the same number of black voters in Detroit had showed up in 2016 as opposed to 2012 or 2008, then Hillary would have easily won the state of Michigan. But they just didn't come out to vote. They didn't like Hillary. Well, the same scenario plays out here, except we're talking about possibly the same demographic, but as well as young voters and Arab Americans, where Trump only won by 10,000 votes. Joe Biden did not win by very many votes in the state of Michigan. If we're looking also you know, across the industrial Midwest, this could have the same impact in the state of Pennsylvania um, or any other place where you're relying on very, very slim margins to put you across the finish line combined with the overall economic depression. So at a certain point, what does alternative path look like? Like Trump has rolled up these white collar or these, uh, sorry, these white working class voters to a historic degree. I don't see them changing course at this point. They either may come out to vote for Trump enthusiastically. Some may stay home, but to cross over and to vote Biden, you know, in a in the current economy, like, I, I don't see it. I, I don't see how they could possibly do it. So let me give you another warning sign here that is, you know, not just about Israel, but is about a dissatisfaction across the board with Joe Biden, concerns about his age, disgust with the unconditional support for Israel, upset with the economy. You can put all of this into this basket. So in 2020, Biden won roughly 91% of black mm -hmm. voters, 91%. A new Quinnipiac, this is a national poll, has him at 56% among black voters. Wow. Trump expands his uh, meager support somewhat to 15%. RFK Jr., 13%. Cornell West, 13%. Now, listen, do I think that's what it's going to look like at the end of the day? No. Because as we've discussed before, oftentimes support for third party candidates falls off um, as you get closer to election day and there's a realization of like, all right, really it's coming down to one of these two dudes. So I got to pick between the choices that are most likely to actually win. And no guarantees also that RFK Jr. and Cornell West uh, are actually on the ballot in a majority of states. So a lot of caveats there. But this is a flashing red light for Biden to go from 91% support to 56% support, a barely winning a majority of African-American voters across the country. I mean, he is in very, very bad shape here. Yeah, and that just underscores that previous point that I made perfectly about how it, you know, you only need it in a few areas and you can lose maybe one, three, five percent. If you're losing 40 percent, yeah, that's it. Game over. Game over. Republicans have always said that. They're like, you know, if we just won 85 percent of the black vote instead of, uh, instead of like, two, or sorry, if Democrats just won 85 percent instead of 92 percent, we would win all 50 states in the entire country. And I don't think people really understand like how crazy that margin actually does work. Especially in the deep south, but that's a great example of how bad things can. Yeah. Be. Now I always have to put the other side out yes, there just should. to cover our yeah. bases, which is yeah. that Republicans have their own problems. Donald Trump is also very much hated, has tremendously turned off suburban voters. We talked yesterday about this insane Alabama uh, Supreme Court uh, ruling that embryos are children. You know, this is probably a position that's held by like three percent of the American public that they would support. There's a push 
behind the scenes among sort of like the Trump administration in waiting to use the Comstock Act to do this sort of like blanket national abortion ban. These things are wildly unpopular. Donald Trump is wildly unpopular. He's in all sorts yes. of legal jeopardy. Like they have problems too. So at the end of the day, you know, I still think it's basically a jump ball. I would today say that Trump probably has the edge, but it's not written in stone. But the fact that Democrats have decided that they are just all in for this guy who is so much weaker than even just like pick your most random mm -hmm. standard off the shelf Democrat in the entire country would probably be 10 points superior to where Joe Biden is. And you just, I mean, it's insane. It is absolutely insane where the Democratic Party has put themselves at this point. And it is not the fault of these voters who are pissed off about your policies and disgusted with your policies. It is your fault for enacting those policies and for sticking with this dude that 86% of the country says is too old to be president another term. That was a piece from the Breaking Points news channel. You are on board the 801 and I'm Kent Garrett. And it is time to hear from uh, Mr. Matheson. How are you? Hey, Ken. You can call me Don. Well, I mean, you know. <laughs> How are you? And later on in our little chat, I'm going, I have a new title. You can, you can add that, but I'm going to talk about something much more important first. Okay, okay. Ken, yesterday I was in Binghamton, and I went to hear the Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson. He was in Binghamton yesterday to attend a fundraiser. Oh, really? Wow, yeah. He was, he was there for a couple of things. Attend a fundraiser for Congressman Mark Molinaro, who uh -huh. fell out. Molinaro, of course, represents our district, which right. is the 19th, 19th district. Yeah. Johnson also attended the, Republican, uh, the New York Republicans 2024 nominating convention, and they picked a guy I never heard of, uh, Mike uh, Sapricone, uh -huh. the former police detective, uh -huh. and he will be running against uh, Senator Kirsten Gillibrand in November. And then, this is where I was, Johnson then spoke to a group of law enforcement officers at the Broome County Sheriff's Headquarters, which is also the county jail complex, mm -hmm. right? Kent, I've heard politicians twist themselves into pretzels to justify their positions. Yeah, no, sometimes it's just crazy, it's a real stretch, right. but I never, I never heard an elected official do what Johnson did yesterday. Never mind that he's the Speaker of the House, you know, that's important. Right. He's the third in line for the presidency, the second most powerful politician in the, in the country. Right. But he used the Bible to justify what he's doing, and that is offensive to me. Yeah. Very offensive. Johnson quoted from Scripture. Specifically, he said, Romans 13. Here's what Johnson told the cops, and I transcribed this. Okay. Law is a value we get from Scripture. We are calling to God to help law enforcement. Civil authorities are established by God. Let me repeat that. Oh, wow. He said civil authorities are established by God, yeah. and they are the key to law and order. Yeah. And officers are God's chosen ones for wrath, wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoers. Wow, wow. I mean, I know he's from a, a oh, religious yeah. district down in Louisiana. 
I mean, he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he's wow. now the second most powerful politician in the country. Yeah, yeah. But listen, there's more. Okay. Johnson identified cops as God's agents of wrath. Johnson said, and here's a quote, our country has allowed laws to be broken. Yeah. The rule of law is one of America's founding principles, and it's being undermined. Now, Kent, look, you and I know what he's talking about. Right. He's not talking about the assault on the U.S. Capitol. Right. It's not hard to infer what he's talking about. Right. And that is, in my opinion, the guy should be kicked to the curb. Yeah, I agree. I would agree with you. Yeah. How did the uh, police, uh, how was their reception? They were stony-faced. Yeah. They didn't re- respond in any way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, I want to disagree with Johnson, and here's why. The power of government does not come from God. Right. Our Constitution clearly states governmental authority is derived from the people. We, the people, give elected officials their authority, not God. Yeah, yeah. So let me quote, he was quoting the Bible. I want to quote the Constitution to, to our listeners. Okay. We, the people of the United States, in order to form a more perfect union, establish justice, ensure domestic quality, tranquility, provide for the common defense, promote the general welfare, and secure the blessings of liberty to ourselves. We, the people, is where the power comes from. This is in direct opposition to what Johnson said. He was quoting a Christian Bible. So I looked it up. Wow. Romans 13. Kent, I never thought in my wildest dreams I would ever be quoting the Bible to you. But here it is. Are you ready? Yes. (laughs) Fasten your seatbelt. Okay. Here's the quote from the Bible, Romans 13. I don't don't know who uh, wrote it, but uh, whatever. Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Wow. Now, let me say one more thing about uh, Mr. Johnson, Mr. Speaker. He defended Trump in in Trump's two impeachment trials. He has called for the repeal of the U.S. Constitution. And he is calling for a new constitutional convention to write a new constitution based on Christian principles. Wow. This is dangerous stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree, I agree. Wow. I, I, I just don't understand how we've gotten to this point. You know, you think Donald Trump is a bad guy. This guy is probably worse because he's smart. Yeah, wow. Incredible. Wow. Hmm. Anyway, so uh, I kind of dropped a little hint that uh, I have a new title. Yeah, what is that? <laughs> Last Tuesday, I was uh, voted in as a member of the Oneonta Common Council. I am now uh, a, 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 a government official as oh, well really? as a reporter. Wow. I never in my wildest dreams ever thought of becoming a politician. And uh, about two weeks ago, I'm walking down the street, and uh, the mayor of Oneonta, Mark Drenick, uh, was walking across the street, and uh, he called me over. And he said to me, if I uh, nominate you for uh, a, a vacant seat on the Common Council, will mm-hmm. you accept? Oh, wow. Right. So what actually is the Common the Council? I mean, What's that? What is the Common Council in terms of Oneonta? Uh, there's eight Oneonta. members. 
Uh-huh. And uh, everyone gets an equal vote, and they decide the budget. They I can see. enact local laws, zoning oh, wow. resolutions, yeah. all of that stuff. And uh, the council has the power to raise, hold steady, or lower property taxes and some other taxes. So it's not an elected position or anything? It is an elected position, but the... Uh, so somebody the, dropped out? Somebody resigned. I a person see. in my ward resigned, yeah. a woman named Emily Falco. Uh-huh. And uh, she recommended to the mayor that he appoint me. (laughs) I don't know why. I hardly know her. And um, they did. So um, I have to run. If I I want to keep the job, I have to run in a special election in November. Uh And uh, I guess uh, President Biden will be at the top of the ticket, and I'll be like uh, 35 rows down. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, will this uh, conflict with your journalistic duties? Well, I've been wrestling with that, so I have resigned from uh, the Daily Star. Oh, you did? Uh Uh, My last column will be on Tuesday, where Uh I explain uh, that I've been given this opportunity. Uh Now, how many 74-year-olds get a a life-changing opportunity? Yeah, that's That's kind of why I took it. Yeah. And and, and do you get paid at all, or what? I think the pay is six, uh, what, no, eight thousand dollars a year. So oh, it is good. a paid position, yeah. but it's not. It's a part-time job. Yeah, right. And uh, it's not like uh, you know, there's committees and. But they, they, I think the important thing is you've got to figure out how the, you know, just what municipal government does. Yeah. yeah. And how they spend the money. Yeah. And I've been starting to look into it. I think the budget is roughly twenty million dollars. Yeah. At least seventy-five percent of it, I believe, is you know, uh, you know, spending that the city has to do because it's uh, you know they they have contracts and employees and all of that. Most of it goes to salaries and yeah, you know, just maintaining. I mean, is the council like Republican or or uh, in general, or how, how does it? How does the, the the council? It, it's up? not really partisan. You I can see. run. I, I mean, I'm a Democrat, and I will uh-huh. run if I choose to in November as a Democrat. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, well, I, I know there are both Democrats and Republicans, and several of the, in fact, the council member that I'm replacing was neither. She had her own party. It's easy to, apparently it's easy to establish your own party right. in municipal elections, and, you know, you run on the, uh, you know, the pickup dog poop party or something. <laughs> right, right. It, it could be anything. So, I mean, that's good. So, theoretically, you're not that far away from... Uh uh, Biden on the ballot. I mean, you. you, you I, I think I'm a long way. It's called down ballot. I'll probably be the very <laughs> scraping the bottom. Yeah, yeah. But that's that's that's. Uh, I, I got to figure out just what the job entails. I, I haven't been sworn in yet. Uh, uh-huh. Sworn in. I think the first Tuesday of March or something like that. Yeah. Well, that's good. Congratulations. I'm really. Uh, uh, hold your. Hold hold the applause. <laughs> I, I again, this is not anything I thought about doing, and yeah. it just kind of fell into my lap. And you know, Kent, to some degree, working as a journalist, it's prepared me for the Common Council. Yeah, you know, because I've attended thousands, literally thousands of government meetings. Yeah, I've reported on public policy for you know five decades. I've interviewed local, state, and national elected officials. Yeah. 
And uh, so now I guess I'll be a politician working on the inside, not as a reporter observing on the outside. Yeah. You brought up the question of, you know, can I still work as a reporter? So I'm still going to do uh, a, a radio talk show, but I'll have a slightly different uh, viewpoint, more my own views, but I won't talk about local Oneonta politics, I'll talk more about like state and national stuff, right. and just society in general, and I'll have more latitude as, a, as essentially a public official to express my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I've sort of taken that. What about you? Do you still want me? Well, no. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, because I think we we don't really do heavy duty political stuff. But I mean, I've. Well, 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 we don't. What was the last hour? Well, no. (laughs) I mean, what I'm saying. No, no. I'm saying we the the broadcast does. But I mean, you you have to decide that really whether you want to keep going with it. In the sense that, I mean, my feeling. Like I've in my career, I've never really joined a party, you know, be it Republican or Democrat or whatever. Mainly because I was in journalism, and uh, you know, felt it was not appropriate to do that. So I mean, you know, I mean, you have to figure it out. I mean, do you want to? The show is definitely this show has a definite definite point of view, and you have to decide whether you want to stick with that. Although, as I say, the the little segment we do is. Uh, you know, it's not that controversial in a sense. What, what right. Do, I think, think? Uh, I, if it's okay with you, I'll, I'll continue. Okay, yeah. yeah. And then, uh, you know, I just w- won't talk about what's going on in Oneonta political circles. You know, maybe I'll uh, try my hand as a stand-up <laughs> comedian. <laughs> right, right. I don't know. It's just a little weird that this happens. I mean, what did um, they say at the uh, paper? At the, how, how did they accept it? Well, I, it the paper. <laughs> it's, it's funny you ask. So it, I had promised the mayor that I wouldn't talk publicly about it, yeah. but somehow or other the newspaper got wind of it, yeah. and uh, a reporter from the Daily Star called me up, and I found myself saying, I'm sorry I can't comment on, on anything <laughs> because I have uh, promised the mayor that I wouldn't speak publicly uh, right, about right. this issue. Right. And then she asked me the question again, and I said the same thing. I'm sorry I can't comment. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> I promised the mayor, but now I can because, uh, you know, I'm officially a member now. So. Yeah, right. That's good. That's good. But I felt, I, I felt like a heel. I really did. <laughs> yeah. And I'm thinking, you know, plenty of rep- politicians have said that to me in the past, and I think, you bum, <laughs> just tell me what you <laughs> Right, right, just, right. just answer the question. Yeah, now you've joined the group. Wow, uh, <laughs> that's crazy. And you, you said something about never joining a party. When I was in, lived in New York. Yeah. If you wanted to have any influence as a voter on the local questions, you had to you had to be a Democrat, and because the the Democratic primary decided who the candidates were going to be for the most part. Yeah, I mean that's and, true. And yeah. so I, and I was a Democrat. You know, the, when I first registered to vote as a teenager, well, yeah. back then you had to be 21. 21, yeah. on my 21st birthday, I registered. Yeah. And um, I registered as a Democrat. Yeah, I hear you. All right, sir. Well, listen, congratulations, and we'll uh, we'll talk uh, maybe a little bit more muted uh, next week, you know. 
<laughs> yeah, well, you know, a little fire in the belly right, uh, helps right. uh, spark interest. I don't know. All right. Talk to you then. Take See care, ya. Ken. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that was uh, Don uh, Matheson speaking with us. And that's going to be it for this edition of the 801. Thank you for joining us. I will uh, talk to you on uh, Monday and have a good weekend. And uh, stay tuned for uh, uh, stay tuned for uh, tip off. Talk to you uh, on Monday. <laughs>